Hello and welcome to Weep Spawn. We talk about anything and everything related to anime and gaming. We are by no means experts, just huge fans. I'm your host, Bobby, and with me is Joshua. Hello, Bobby. Glad to be doing another episode. And in today's episode, we are going to be continuing our Pokemon franchise with Generation 3, Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald. And spoilers ahead, because even though... They've been out for a while, just in case. Yeah, so Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire version are the first paired core series of Gen 3 games. And they are taking place in the Hoenn region. They were released in Japan on November 21st of, 20, uh, of 2002 and in North America on March 19th of 2003. And they were also released in Australia April 3rd and in Europe July 25th of 2003. And like all the paired games beforehand, Ruby and Sapphire were followed by a third version, which was Pokemon Emerald, two years later. And together they became the best-selling Game Boy Advance games of all time. And the remakes of the games in, the, or they created remakes of the games in the form of Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, and were released three generations later for the Nintendo 3DS in November of 2014 worldwide. And Ruby and Sapphire were the second and third best selling games of 2003 in the US, with Pokemon Ruby selling the most. And in the fiscal year of their release, they sold 6.6 million units. And as of March uh, March 31st of 2013, Ruby and Sapphire sold approximately 16.22 million copies worldwide. So I think it goes without saying that they were pretty successful. Yeah, I and when I was doing this, I did check. Uh, obviously, I checked a few sources. Uh, and that number is still relevant because obviously you they're not making Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire anymore. So any copies that are out there have already, I guess, been sold from the manufacturer. So that number should be as accurate as we can, I believe. Though it was very good. It did not sell as much as the previous generations. I think... I was reading Gen 1, Red and Blue sold like 30 million, and then Gold and Silver sold like 23 or 26 million. But in case this is your first Pokemon podcast you are listening to, it's like the same as all the other Pokemon games, as if you have a rival team, either Team Magma or Team Aqua, depending on the version, and you try to catch them all and become the champion current champion is steven not your rival who is either brendan or may depending on which gender you pick at the beginning of the game this is one of the first games and maybe the only game that i recall that you don't name your well no i think black and white you don't name your rival but this one you don't name your rival and you have a different villain team depending on which version you get so, you get the same story, same attitude, new place to discover, and new Pokemon to catch. That was supposed to be a play on words from our Toonami episode, if anyone heard, <laughs> if anyone watched that of the 
same new place, same attitude, new shows to watch. It was something like the thing, so I stole it. That was pretty clever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as with its present predecessors, uh, Ken Sugimori was the art director, although these were his first these were the first games in which he did not single-handedly single-handedly produce all the art which is pretty impressive i did not know he was single-handedly producing the artwork for the others so that's pretty cool um when asked where his um where his design teams came up with their ideas for all the new pokemon sugimori stated that they got their ideas from past experiences in their childhood involving nature animals and the media and then based them on insects and he said first we select an insect after that we add the essential elements to the insects to make them more like pokemon such as adding some hard shape to it will um to be more like steel and then sugimori said or so that's what sugimori said describing the process of creating these pokemon so that is very interesting and it's kind of interesting. Like, I don't know if they... They probably did that for a large majority of them, but, like, obviously some of them, I think, were based off of other things like uh, crabs and lobsters and stuff. And Mudkip was, I think, based off of, like, a newt. So... But it's still pretty cool to know the the artistic vision behind Pokemon, or at least Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire. Yeah, because the Japanese straight love their insects. That's yeah, that is a very... <laughs> That is a very cultural thing, like you see in anime all the time. There's always something like bug catching related, and it's just very strange. Which I wonder if that's the reason why the bug those are like the first things you encounter is because oh, it's like that's a childhood a, thing. Yeah, and that's like the first thing you encounter as a child, and you're a child starting out in the game. Like it's your your first steps. That's interesting. That that could very well be. I could easily see it fitting. I know in one of the reasons, later down, I can't, I couldn't tell you what interview it was, but one of the reasons why they made Caterpie and Weedle evolve so quickly is because they wanted people to experience what evolution was like in Pokemon, and that's why they have such short mm. evolution levels. But yeah, it's amazing how much they actually like fit into the real world because obviously a lot of people know like what maps are based on what part of the world i forget what hoenn is based off of but um, let's see. it would make sense that they put bugs first because all the kids seem to love bug catching but this also kind of confirms everyone's claim like oh this animal or this pokemon is probably based on this animal well he even said it right here that they take inspiration from real life animals, plants, and insects and stuff, which would make sense because let's be real, trying to come up with 200 or like 100 plus new Pokemon every generation, that would be very hard without taking some real world carbon yeah. copy, well, not carbon copies, but like templates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it looks like the Hoenn region was based off of Kyushu, Japan. The, the lower, so if you're looking at Japan, it's the lower left portion with uh, the chain of islands and, and stuff. Yeah, so there's always more to Pokemon than meets the eye. 
So, <laughs> to start us off, just like the previous games, there are going to be new features in this one as well. For right now, we will start us out with the more the new, more specialized Pokeballs. The Premier Ball is a com uh, com commemorative. Yes, I don't know why I couldn't <laughs> say that word. Pokeball that. Other than getting it for free for every 10 Pokeballs you buy and it has a reverse color scheme, it still works exactly like a regular Pokeball. So nothing too special about that. Um, but fun fact about that, or like a a pro tip, I guess, is if you're gonna plan if you're planning on buying more than 10 Pokeballs, like maybe 20, 30, 100, however much, it's better to buy them in packs of 10 because you'll get one free premier ball, whereas if you just buy a hundred of them, then you only get one premier ball. So if you're planning on buying a hundred Pokeballs, buy them in groups of ten, so then you get ten free premier balls. That was true, I think, until the last generation. Well, if you're going back and playing yeah. the nostalgia. No, I think it was I'm not I think it was the remake of Diamond and Pearl, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. That I think if you buy like 30 Pokeballs, it actually gives you three Premier Balls. So gotcha. it's re it's like relatively new that they've done that. But yes, normally, yes, if you were to buy more than 10 Pokeballs or any more than 10 Pokeballs, you'd always want to buy in increments of 10 because you would get the extra Premier Ball. The next one introduced was the Repeat Ball, which makes it easier to catch Pokemon that you have already caught. Which, for if you're just kind of like casual playing, it doesn't really have much effect. But if you're like shiny hunting and you need to like chain catch or something like that, then these balls were really helpful. Then we had the Timer Ball, which makes catching Pokemon easier the more turns that have passed. And I think it's probably best used against legendaries if you're trying to save that one master ball that you get. Obviously, you can keep throwing like ultra balls, but after like, I think the effectiveness you have to get to like turn ten. I think it's when it's at its most effective. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I had to uh, double check that. And then we have the nest ball, which makes lower level Pokemon easier to catch. And we have the Net Ball, which makes water and bug Pokemon easier to catch. And also, honestly, I like it as it has a really cool design and like color scheme. It's like a light green. Oh no, it's a like ocean blue with a black netting around the ball. And I think it's one of my favorite design Pokeballs. The, yeah, that is a cool one. I'm looking at the picture right now. Yeah, I really like using it. Do what? What was it? And I think oh, I forget which one of the newer Pokemon games. I kept using the netball a lot, even on non-water and <laughs> bug Pokemon, because I wanted it to be in a different ball. <laughs> we have the new dive ball, which has a high catch rate for sea-dwelling Pokemon, which was good because this is the game where the hm dive was introduced so you got a whole new experience with that and finally the luxury ball which makes captured pokemon more comfortable and friendly to its trainer much more quickly so you could 
find these at various Pokemons throughout the Hoenn region. Yes. Um, I don't know why, but I never knew that Timer Ball makes it easier to catch the more turns that have passed. I'm pretty sure it tells you a description, but I never read it. I think I just assumed that the longer the Pokemon sat in the ball, the more likely it would catch. Like, you know how it wiggles a few times? Yeah. Well, I thought the more wiggles means I'm more likely to catch it. I don't know. I was very dumb. <laughs> how does that work? Cause I don't know. It technically would be awful because it doesn't wiggle right away. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. I just never really thought about it all that much. <laughs> But I did think the new addition to Pokeballs were very cool. Like, they, these new Pokeballs, because I know they started changing up the Pokeballs in Gen 2, that which we discussed with the acorns yeah, or whatever. That. Though, I will say, because Gen 2 didn't really change the sprite of the new Pokeballs. It was more, like, different colors and stuff because yeah. of, like, limitation design. The Heavy Ball has changed a lot, but the it's one of my favorite favorite ones if you look at the one that is like completely gray like it has a gray top and then mm -hmm. i the think it's like circles. blue crystals yeah. coming out yeah, that actually, one i is... saw that I'm, I'm looking at the pictures right now and i saw heavy ball i'm like i don't think i've ever seen that yeah i think i want to say it was in sword and shield it was that scheme and then and Arceus, it's obviously different because it's not, it's supposed to be like ancient times or whatever, but like they changed it because I don't think it was in BDSP. I don't think the heavy ball looks like that. I think they changed, like revert it back or something, but I want the old heavy ball or that heavy <laughs> ball back, the, the silver with the blue crystals. That is by far my favorite Pokeball. Yeah, I think my favorite, ooh, I've never used the Cherish Ball. But that one looks pretty sweet. Um, I'm just look. I know that one's not Gen three though. This it says it is Gen four. Yeah, really, it's Gen four. I don't remember ever getting that. Um, I think my favorite is the Premier Ball though. I like the classic white with the red stripe, like the really? red um, divider. Yeah, seeing some of these ones, the the heavy ball has like blue blobs on it, but there's. I want to say it's Sword and Shield that they have it to where like it's actually like crystals coming out and it looks so freaking cool. Yeah, that that is a pretty cool one. But yeah, I just like the the classic um, sleek look of the Premier Ball. That's oh. fair. There, the other one that what? Hold on, there's a new one that I don't rem remember seeing. It's like this. It looks like a a red. Oh, the cherish ball. That's the one you yeah, were just talking about. The is that a lake ball or is that supposed to be lure? Um, I'm seeing lure. I'm not seeing lake. Is it blue and red? No, it's has like dark blue on its side in like a triangle and has a teal. V shape with a yellow streak on it. I don't know if it's made up or not. Oh, I'm I'm not seeing it on Bulbapedia. 
Okay, so it's probably not because I just went to Google Images, so it might be a fan-made one or one that was like in the anime because mm. it shows like the GS ball. Uh, the Dream Ball actually kind of looks cool. Um, but yeah, yeah, and I've never played the Arceus game, but they have some really cool-looking balls. Oh, the <laughs> some of the that's a weird. That's a weird sentence. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, what? It, uh, the flying one or wing? Wait, yeah, I forget what it was called. Yeah, That's those ones are pretty cool. Anywho, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at Bulbapedia now, and uh, I don't think, uh, I think the one I saw was probably not real, or it's probably a fan-made one that looked cool. But. Uh, not to get too, too sidetracked <laughs> on on the, the different type of pokeballs. So, arguably the best and most important or most impactful new change in this generation are the abilities. And until Gen three, abilities were actually not a thing. Which this is one of the like biggest impacts. It's I remember. I never really understood how abilities worked, so it wasn't until semi-recently when I would actually strategically look at different abilities of certain Pokemon I wanted. I'm like, alright, so I need to try to get this ability because I think this one would be the most beneficial to uh, this Pokemon. And this brought a whole new slew of changes into battling. And before, you wouldn't have to worry about, say, using Thunderbolt on a Jolteon or whatever, because... Um, if, you know, for whatever reason you decide to use an electric move on electric Pokemon, but I guess that's not really important. Sometimes you, um, it's a last ditch effort. You're like, well, I have no other moves. Might as well use it. But there is an ability that Jolteon has, which is Volt Absorb. So instead of taking a little bit of damage, it will actually heal the Pokemon instead. And for competitive and casual battling, it brings this whole new dynamic to battling which makes you kind of think twice about how you're going to play against this pokemon yeah so especially like for this example the whole volt absorb maybe you weren't thinking of actually hitting a jolteon with a thunderbolt say like you were in a competitive battle and someone has a water type out and you're like oh i have a choice scarf uh i don't know what what's it manetric i was trying to i was struggling there to think of a gen 3 pokemon <laughs> uh choice scarf manetric so thunderbolt will do like hella damage even though i think it's a physical attacker we'll ignore that Anyways, just for this example, then someone could swap out to Jolteon, and now instead of taking any damage, you just healed the Jolteon, and your move is completely useless now. So that's part of the changes in competitive battling and uh, casual battling. You will just have to be aware of like certain abilities because like there's some that is like flame body that will burn you if you has a chance to burn you if you're a physical attacker static that paralyzes you poison point that can poison you so there's just many different kinds of abilities and everything and so 
it just brings a whole new strategy to the game now. And it could be fun seeing, like, new different, like, abilities. Because most Pokemon have two abilities and a hidden ability. So, it also makes battling and trading Pokemon a little bit more. Because you could be like, hey, I got this Pokemon with this ability. Do you want it for this ability? Or depending on what ability they are, they can go like different roles and stuff like that. So it really did change battling as we saw it. But after abilities, now comes natures, which I honestly forgot that natures weren't a thing also until Gen 3. So like almost everything I recall about Pokemon, it's like, oh yeah, that wasn't a thing until Gen 3. And I was like, huh. Natures were also introduced which could change how you use a Pokemon because it varies certain stats by increasing one by 10% and decreasing one by 10%. For example, Modest Nature will give more special attack but lose attack, which was great for Pokemon who never use physical attacks. And the reverse nature to this was Adamant that increased attack instead. And also to note that the EV and IV systems that we discussed in the previous generation were refined in Rupin Sapphire. The maximum IV stat a, a Pokemon could hold was boosted from 15 to 31, which is the same as it is today. The EV system was also altered from the former stat experience system with all Pokemon now giving 1, 2, or 3 F uh, EV values for one of the six stats after they were defeated in battle with a cap of 255 per stat and 510 overall. If you manage to get a Pokemon with 510 EVs, you will be rewarded with the Effort Ribbon if it is shown to a girl in Slateport City. Yeah, so EVs and IVs were never something I understood. I honestly still don't fully understand them, nor do I care. Uh, I know it's a very important part of the game, and especially in like competitive Pokemon like battles and stuff. I just don't get them. I don't care to know them. I see Pokemon that hit hard, and I catch. See, when I was younger, I didn't under, I didn't understand this fundamentally. But the thing I knew was that I was like, huh, it's like if I were to go to Victory Road and sometimes I would want to catch a high level Pokemon, but for some reason it wasn't as strong as some of my other Pokemon, even though like they were maybe like only a couple levels lower or something. And so in my head, I knew, huh, so if I catch a Pokemon at a lower level and train it, it is stronger than if I just catch it at a higher level and that's because when you have it at a lower level you go through those battles and you get those evs that make it stronger i didn't know that i just in my head i'm like oh catching them at a lower level and training them up makes them stronger than just catching them at a high level and so once i figured that out i was like oh i will always catch my pokemon and i'm like so that's why training pokemon are always stronger than wild Pokemon, not realizing it was because of EVs. 
Yeah, I that's kind of the similar boat, similar boat I was in. I would say I had a graveler fighting a graveler on Victory Road, and mine was stronger. I just thought it was because, uh, honestly, I don't know what I thought. Maybe because I'm like, oh, well, I had this as a Geodude, so evolving it, like catching it and evolving it made it better. I didn't realize that there was some hidden mechanic behind it. I thought it was just because it was a wild Pokemon versus a trainer Pokemon. But I never really tested out by catching that Pokemon and then fighting a Graveler again. Because then if it was the whole it's wild versus trainer, that would have been an easy way to actually test that theory. But I didn't understand that. So I just assumed I caught this Pokemon. So that means it gets stronger right then and there. But yeah, never understood it. Never cared to look into it until I was older. And I still don't actually know how it works. Well, it's much easier now, too, I think, since, I want to say Sun and Moon. They made it, like, where just blatant tells you, like, oh, after you beat the Pokemon League, go to this person, and they will tell you all your stats. And it's like, oh, sweet. Now I can actually just look instead of trying to guess and or trying to figure out how you had to do it, like, in the old days. Now it's just kind of like, oh, here are your stats, and then they're like, oh, by the way, here are items that can help you train those stats. And here are food that will reduce those stats. So if you accidentally trained it in something else, now you can get rid of that. And it's like, oh, wow. Now the game actually tells you what to do. And you don't have to just search on the internet and be like, mm-hmm. huh. So it's definitely a lot easier to get into more competitive battling, which I personally enjoy because I think if it's more, if it's easier for people, then like the VGC tournaments and stuff could become more popular because it would be more easily accessible and more Pokemon could be used instead of just using the same like six Pokemon. So that's fair. Yeah, the accessibility would definitely make it more popular, I think. So less of a learning curve. But um, one non-battle-related feature that was added to this game that I know that we absolutely loved at the time. Nowadays, I feel like it's not really that big of a deal because, I don't know, it it was just cool at the time. I don't know why it seems less important nowadays, but it was the secret bases. And yes, throughout the world, there would be these little spots hidden in trees and caves, which you could explore and find and you use this move called secret power to open them up and a small space would be created inside where you could decorate it with various items and kind of lay it out in any fashion that you would like and um, these areas were a little hidden so that's what makes them secret and yeah it was it was really cool because you could add like features of these pads that could push around players so you step on the tile and it would push you in the direction that the tile pointed. And then you could do like there's these Pokemon doll things that you could set up. And it was just really cool because you could really express like your personality and the way you play the game in these little areas. So, yeah, it was it was just a fun way for you to kind of engage with your friends. And I don't know if you remember, Bobby, but we would sometimes i don't exactly remember how they worked um in terms of letting your friends find them 
but I do remember somehow we would connect and we would see who can find each other's secret base first. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just really fun. Yeah. Cause like we, it was like the scavenger hunt. You could battle your, uh, your friends in it. And yeah, we, <laughs> we spent so much time on secret bases. It was just one of those things where we obviously played the game up until the point of getting the secret bases. And then we would go and be like, all right, let's make our base. And then we will try to find it and we'll battle each other. And yeah, we spent a lot of time on that. And it'd be a reoccurring thing too, because as you played the game, you would collect more items to de decorate your base. And yeah, we, we both had different ways of decorating our base and what made them really cool. Yeah. And I definitely like the, the, they were different in sizes. If you found like a big tree, to hide in you'd have a big space but if it was like a smaller area condensed they would actually make it smaller so it wasn't all like the same size like it just magically grew in size and the fact that they did kind of like take the environment and background so like if you did find like the tree it would have a green foresty feel and if it was a cave it was ground and hard and could potentially have some boulders in it to like take up your space so it's very neat that like thinking about it, maybe there was but like no two spots were the same even if they were from caves and they had the same look there could be different boulders placed in different areas so every spot you wanted would look different and then obviously with your like decoration you could do it however you wanted and like you said it was fun doing that like scavenger hunt where we'd go around trying to find whoever's secret base and it was cool because when you made your secret base it recorded whatever pokemon was in your party at that time so if you found your friend's secret base if you go and talk to them you could actually have a battle with them without actually like just doing the link battle or whatever and you could fight them if, excuse me if you so choose so it was definitely a lot of fun having your own secret base losing it and being like where the fuck is my base <laughs> yeah um there so i'm looking at the layouts of the the caves the secret bases i did not realize how big some of these bases could actually be yeah there were a few um, that were, like, huge. Yeah. There's, like, a tree layout that's long as shit. Super long. They have multiple room bases, which I didn't know about. Man, I don't know how we didn't find any of these. I don't know well, if I knew about the multiple room. Yeah, they call it, like, a two-room or a three-room where there's two. It's not, like actual rooms like how you go into a cave oh yeah it is, it is it. just segmented differently but i would have had a base in some of those ones these are really cool but yeah we we spent a lot of time on these things and i had no idea there was this much variance i do remember where my favorite base was though um so well i say i remember where it was I could probably get there nowadays. I remember I needed surf. I don't remember the route or anything, but it was right outside a cave. 
and I think I know you, which one you're talking about, but I can't like Yeah. I wanna say it was like Well, I wanna say it was the cave that had bag on in it, but I don't know for sure if that was actually the correct cave. I know it was right outside the cave and you needed surf and it was really tricky to get to if you didn't know what you were looking for. Was it a cave? I mean, it was right. It, so it was yeah. It was a cave style base. It was right outside the entrance of a cave, though. Because there's one that says left side of the shrub, northwest corner of the map, up the northern waterfall and across two sets of white railing. Requires surf, waterfall, and acro bike. Hmm. I don't know if that's the. I'm just looking, but oh, there's a lot of caves that need surf. Yeah. <laughs> In northern mountainous area, south and down the steps from the dirt slope requires surf. Hmm. Well, I won't be able to remember, but all I remember is some of these are actually way more tricky. I thought I had a really good one, but I guess they had a lot more bases than there, I thought. One of mine was the red cave layout because it was like a fiery one or whatever it is that I'm looking at. But I'm pretty sure it was... a the red cave layout. I, I don't know what I was doing, but like I was just fine, like going through some like obscured area in the game. And I found a secret hideout location. I'm like, no way. I'm like, you're never going to find this. And I made my base. And then, uh, I think we had a scavenger hunt and I think you found like one very similar at another time. Maybe not this time. But, like, I found your base within, like, 30 or 40 minutes or something. And, like, after, like, an hour, you're like, where is it? And I showed you, like, how was I supposed to find that? <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> That's the point of a secret base. And then probably the one you're thinking of is probably the one I couldn't find that I'm like, where the fuck is this? And you're like, oh, you got to do this, surf, and do I'm like, all right. That's as bad as my yeah. base. <laughs> they were definitely secret. Yeah, some of them were very obvious, and then some of them weren't so obvious. Uh, one thing I also wanted to bring back the nostalgia that, as far as I know, I think this was maybe only in this game. Maybe they brought it back in later generations. I didn't remember. Do you remember the trick room? Oh, yeah. I, I used to get, like... That was one of the first things I would do, and then they progressively got harder. So then I started waiting until I beat the game, and then I would go and just destroy the trick room. Yeah, because, well, in some cases, you actually needed certain HMs. Like, one of the first ones, you need mm -hmm. cut. So it's like a very simple maze to get through. But, yeah, it was so much fun trying to... Because not only as soon as you walked in the house, you had to find where he was hiding... And then after that, he's like, oh, you found me. Now take on my challenge. But it was just like a, another fun little mini game that they had that, like, you actually had to think about. And you couldn't just, like, brute force your way. Yeah. I like that one a lot. That was probably one of my favorite things in uh, the game. <laughs> Something little <laughs> like that. Yep. And now we have the last few changes, which, of course, are battle-related, which, if you actually look at a lot of these new changes, really did change how we battle entirely, whether 
indirectly or directly. And the first one would be double battles, which is exactly like it sounds. <laughs> Instead of sending out one Pokemon, you send out two. And this actually a lot, this allowed for a lot of creative team building, especially now with the access to abilities. You could have, I think, some Pokemon like would levitate that was weak to ground on your team and have the other person use Earthquake. And so it would miss your Pokemon, your partner Pokemon, but would still hit the other ones. Or, like, have a Volt Absorb and a Pokemon that knew Discharge. Because Discharge would hit everyone. But, of course, because it's Volt Absorb, instead of hurting it, you healed your Pokemon. And attacked the enemy Pokemon at the same time. So, you had a lot more creativity. And, not to mention, this has become the staple format for all VGC tournaments. Which, if you're not into competitive Pokemon... VCC is just the official Pokemon licensed tournaments that they held. So, there's that. If you guys would like more about that, I'm sure, well, you don't know too much about it, but I'm sure I can <laughs> scrounge up a, a document for you to go over what VGC is and everything about VGC and the rules and the tiers of Pokemon. But... If you're not too fond of fighting, which I'm not sure why you're playing Pokemon in the first place, because the <laughs> whole thing is about battling, but hey. About animal abuse. Yeah. <laughs> we have just the thing for you. It is called contests. Contests, instead of battling Pokemon, you, are, you compete them in various tasks and ranks from normal, super, hyper, and master. During these, you try to appeal to your Pokemon using moves that are categorized as cool, cute, beautiful, clever, or tough. And if you win, you get a fabulous ribbon on your Pokemon. Just And also, just like battling, natures, I found out, also affected which stat would help in the contest. Whether raise your cool stats, or lower them, or raise up tough, or whatever... And you could also use give them certain berries that would increase their coolness or their toughness or their beautifulness, whatever you wanted. Or you could attach scarves, like the red scarf helped. What was red? Uh, uh, whatever red was. I know, <laughs> I think tough was yellow, beautiful was green. So, like, whatever, they had it categorized, and basically whatever colored scarf you are wearing correlated with one of the category categories, and that would help boost whatever contest you were in. Yeah, this was one thing that I did a little bit when I first started playing the game. I thought it was kind of neat. And then after a few times going through, I started to dislike it. But then they... I learned about the berries that you could combine berries to make this food for your Pokemon that would help them w increase their stats. So I thought that was cool. So then I would do that and then I wouldn't do the contest. <laughs> and then eventually I just thought it was all boring. So then I never did the contest ever again. I think I literally didn't do the contest until after like I 
pretty much did everything in the game or like the aftermath and I did whatever I thought was all to offer besides raising like competitive Pokemon or shiny hunting and stuff like that. But as far as I know, Blaziken was the only one I got a ribbon for everything. He- yeah, Blaziken was really easy to compared to others i think i feel like at least yeah even on moves that are in contests i didn't have like moves for only one move was like cool for the cool contest i still won and normal super hyper and master rank like i literally got all the ribbons for him and then i think i even got a ribbon for being like you run everything here's another ribbon for you and then like i was like okay i i beat the contest because yep done <laughs> i was like if i could ri- win it just doing other moves that weren't meant for it i'm like all right i don't i don't think there's really much more i i, I need from contests because yeah it's like yeah, it's kind of broken i don't think i know in the anime they had the uh, what was it called the grand contest cup whatever i i forget the exact name for it where you had to like win five ribbons from different contests and you got to go in this tournament i don't know if ruby and sapphire actually had that i didn't do contests enough i know i had to go to different contest areas to get different ribbons for like whatever for the different things but i don't think they had a contest cup thing as far as i'm aware of I couldn't tell you. I think that's about when I stopped watching the show. So I don't I'm talking about remember. the game. <laughs> oh, oh. I thought you said in the show. Oh, no. they. I know in Diamond and Pearl they did because Dawn wanted to be a contest connoisseur or whatever they called them. But uh, in the game, I don't know if they actually had it. I'm not sure. I don't remember. But uh, all that glitters is not golden. Although they do retain the number one for best-selling Game Boy Advance game, it didn't come without its critiques. And this mostly came from how, from the fact of how repetitive the game was compared to the previous installments. Which, I kind of understand that critique, but also at the same time, it's like, it's Pokemon, so it's gonna be repetitive. So I don't really know, I don't really understand their critique of that one, so to say. But also there was, it birthed the joke of the game having too much water, which I can definitely see. That was one of the things I hated about the game was how often it felt like we were surfing across this vast ocean and diving all the time, which the diving didn't upset me too much. Um... But it wasn't very fun. <laughs> but besides the repetitiveness the game, uh, in the game, the critiques also felt that they were a little off-put by the connectivity issues. Uh, as you weren't able to use the link cable from a Game Boy Advance to a regular Game Boy. Thus making it impossible to battle and trade from previous generations. Which is pretty upsetting. Um... Which it was a little weird to see that you could connect to the GameCube 
and you were able to interact with and play games with Colosseum and Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness and the Pokemon box Ruby and Sapphire, which is like what Pokemon Home is today, but for the GameCube. So it was a little weird to see that you could connect with those games, but you couldn't connect with the regular Game Boy Color. So, little little weird on Nintendo's part. One, the I think that for me, the major downside of this game is it had eight HMs. It was like cut... Fly, Surf, Strength, Rock Smash, Waterfall, Dive, and I think Flash was still an HM. And if I'm not mistaken, to get to like the Pokemon League, you had to use Waterfall, Surf, Strength, Rock Smash, and I think Flash. I, I can't remember. You had to use like four or five HMs to get to the Pokemon League just like regularly. Oh, Whirlpool. It was Whirlpool, not Flash. Oh, yeah. It was Whirlpool. So it was Whirlpool, Surf, Waterfall, and Rock Smash or Strength or both of those. So it was either <laughs> four or five because I can't remember if you need both Rock Smash and Strength or just one of them. But you needed at least four HMs just to get to the Pokemon League and then to, like, get to Victory Road and get through all that, which could suck because, like, you could have a strong team, but you don't want to use, like, Waterfall or Rock Smash on your team because it's an HM and you're just like, eh, it's not that strong at this point and you don't want to add it to your team, but, like, now you can't get through, so you either have to get rid of one of your moves you wanted or swap it out for an HM slave so now you have less battling prowess to get through Victory Road. That was really my only like main critique of this game was that there were way, way too many HMs. Yeah, I could definitely see that. One thing I always just hate about the game were HMs in general. I never wanted to give them to my main party. And I get the point of it because it kind of forces you to have a little strategy. But at the same time, it's like, oh, they're just tedious and annoying. Surf was like the only one that was acceptable. <laughs> yeah, Surf was actually a pretty decent move, it, especially in double battles. Yeah, it was actually really strong. And I'm like, when I think of Pokemon, I'm like, I who, who can learn Surf? Who's going to be a good Surf person? Because it was, I think... 90 base power like one of it's actually a really strong move so that was the only good one fly wasn't too bad it was strong but it sucked that it was a two turn thing but mm -hmm. obviously you could at least dodge an attack um yeah i didn't mind fly only because it was so useful out of combat yeah. like it was very fly useful and, and it wasn't a mandatory hm rock smash was probably my least favorite hm i mean that was a garbage move <laughs> it really was because it was only i don't know i think when it was introduced it was only like a 30 base power or something it's like are you kidding me like i get because hms didn't break so you can't make them overly strong because like surf was strong and if you really wanted to you could teach it to all your water pokemon 
And I get they couldn't make it too strong, but I mean, come on. Rock Smash was like 30 base power and had a chance to lower defense. I don't think it was guaranteed. And it was yeah. just like, ooh. Whirlpool was an awful move. It stuck, like, it trapped him and then measly damage. And mm-hmm. I think, like, Flash right after. Flash was kind of crap. Yeah. I think right after this gen, Whirlpool became a TM instead of an HM. And yeah, Flash just lowered accuracy. So it was like, I'd rather have double team because double team raises your evasionness, which is the exact same as lowering your opponent's accuracy. But if they die, then it's like, okay, well, now the next Pokemon that comes out has a 100% chance theoretically to hit you. Where if you use double team, then if you knocked out the Pokemon, you still retain all that evasiveness, so the opponent's still screwed. So yeah, just yep, yeah. The only other I, good one I think also was strength. They did boost that up to like eighty or ninety base power. So if you had a normal Pokemon to get that stab bonus, it was actually really strong, like on Snorlax or something. So. They actually made that a little more viable. But, yeah, most of the HMs just weren't viable attacks. I'm so glad they got rid of them. So nice not having to worry about HMs or getting an HM slave. Wait, so in the the newer games, because I haven't played them, they completely got rid of HMs? Yeah, starting from Sun and Moon. They uh, oh. they don't have HMs. What you have now is like Pokemon partners or something like that. That you still don't like get everything right away. You still like get it progressively as you go on. So like, and what what's the most recent game you played? Um, I have Sun and Moon. I played the intro and I just haven't picked it back. Okay, up. so yeah, like for <laughs> in Sun and Moon to fly around, you have a uh, you have like. A, there's like a Charizard flying surface that does that. And same with like Sword and Shield. They have Corviknight, which is the the bird, the main bird in the game, like the first bird you encounter. Obviously, you can't fly to anywhere you haven't been to, but it's the same thing. Like if you would have to, I forget which game it is, but you get to ride Tauros to like break rocks um, there's one where you ride, like, you have to ride, like, an Obama snow, I think, to get through heavy snow. So, like, all the hmm. spots where you would need, quote-unquote, like, an HM, you would learn the Pokemon Assistant equivalent to it. So, you always have it with you, and then it doesn't even take up a slot anymore. Interesting. That's cool. The moves still exist. Like Waterfall, Surf, Fly, Rock Smash yeah. Strength. They all still exist. They're just all TMs now. I see. Well, that's really nice. I'm surprised it took them so long to actually get rid of the HMs. Because I don't feel like many people actually cared about the HMs and wouldn't have gotten upset with them to be removed. I think they were, like, for... Up until... I think Gen 3 is what made me hate HMs. Gen 1, I kind of thought it was cool. Because I was like, oh, this is like... It's a hidden move. It's an HM. Like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's like its own special thing. And like Gen 2, I was starting to get to it. Like, okay, they help you progress. This is how you know you're 
getting farther into the story or like how you can get, unlock certain areas. But then when Gen 3 came and had eight HMs, like you couldn't even have an HM slave cover like four slots because a lot of places you need like five to six HMs. That's when I was like, all right, this is fucking ridiculous. Either yeah. power up <laughs> those moves or get rid of them. Yeah. It was a little, it was basically a chore at that point, and then you would have to waste one of your party slots. Yeah, because like I mentioned, like surf and fly, absolutely did not care having because I used those constantly. Strength two was another probably common one that uh, was like usable, but like cut, I freaking hated that. That was so low power. Yeah, no one uses that. And then it's like sometimes you like you'll get so far and then like you're like oh fuck i need cut because it's the first hm you get and so now you have to go all the way back to a pokemon center get your pokemon that knows cut to bring it all the way back and it was just annoying that they would always have somewhere you need to cut way down the line and it's just like look game i know you expect me to have it but did you really expect me to keep a pokemon with cut that was like 30 base power in my party the entire time from badge one to the freaking victory road. But listen, if they get rid of HMs, then what purpose would Badoof have? Ah, uh, that's true. <laughs> totally forgot about him. <sighs> so did so did everyone else. Yeah, he he can learn I think I think till this day, I think Badoof and Barbaral are like the ones that can learn like five out of like the eight HMs that were ever made. And it has like the most. That sounds right. Because it can learn all the water ones. It can learn Whirlpool, Surf, Waterfall, Dive. And then I think it can learn Cut and possibly Flash. It just can't learn I'm Fly. Sure. I don't know about Strength. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he could learn strength i and rock smash so maybe it was okay maybe well, one it was of those fly two, and flash it couldn't learn I'm not, i know for sure you can't learn flash or fly <laughs> yeah but yeah so that's one thing that i am happy that yes. hms are like i said i thought it was cool when they first introduced it for in one and two because it kind of did give you like oh it there's something that needs to be cut. Oh, I want to what like kind of give you that exploration feeling when you had the right HMs. And obviously when it's first introduced any, for the most part, a lot of new mechanics are pretty cool, but yeah, gen three, once yeah, we had I, to have eight HMs, I was like, all right. Yeah. I just looked it up. Badoof can learn six out of the eight HMs. Is it flying flash? Yeah. Those are the two he cannot. That's it. Yeah. It's crazy that, but now you don't have to worry about it anymore, which I'm sure everyone <laughs> yeah. is happy for. And they actually made Waterfall now actually a really strong physical water move. So there are some HMs that now are TMs that people actually use now because they don't have to worry about it being broken, I guess, because in the older games, every TM broke once you used it. So HMs were something that you would always have. Any other last bit comments you want to talk about um, Gen 3? Nope, not really. All I wanted was... Well, the only thing that I really, really stuck out to me in this game when I first played 
was Salamance, I think it was his name. And I liked him so much that I hunted down a Bagon <laughs> uh, just to have that Pokemon. He was kind of difficult to get because there was only one specific location you could find him. But yeah, that was my main take out of the game when I first played was, man, I really want this Pokemon. Yeah, because I think Gen 3 might have been like one of the only gens that had multiple pseudo-legendaries because I think Salamence and Metagross were the pseudo-legendaries of mm-hmm. this game. I know Metagross for sure yeah. because Steven had it, the champion. And I absolutely loved Metagross. I just hated that the only way you can get it is after you beat the Pokemon Link. So it was like... Yep. Pointless. <laughs> Alright, cool. I just beat the hardest, cha- quote-unquote, the hardest challenge in the game, becoming champion... And now I got the pseudo-legendary. So it's like, that's probably why they have Salamence in there. Even though he has a Salamence mm-hmm. as well. But like, like here's one you can catch. And then one after the game. But yeah. I, yeah. It just sucks because I thought Metagross was so freaking cool. But you don't get them until you beat the game. Yeah, it's very upsetting. It's like, because after I beat the game, I don't have any intention of going out and training my Pokemon. So, I don't know why they insisted on giving it to you after the Elite Four. Was was this where the Battle Frontier was introduced? I believe so. Let me look it up real quick. Let's see. Yep, Gen 3. Yeah, okay. So, this was... So, that was their after-game... Con- post-game content that I can't believe mm-hmm. I forgot because Gen 2 had going back to Kanto, which was really sweet. Going back and beating everyone and gave you a reason to keep loving the Pokemon. This one, the Battle Frontier also did, but I think it was set to like either 50, level 50, or level 100. But you still had to train them to get to level 100 if uh, you wanted to and get like all the special stuff that would help you train, like your EV and IV. So, like you really wanted to it was good to battle them but it was something you didn't really need to do so like you said you didn't have to keep challenging afterwards but i remember whenever i wanted to train a pokemon i would because i had a level like 100 blaziken and level like 90 something wayquaza and i would just literally send them to to beat the Elite Four and put it EXP share on whatever other Pokemon so it wouldn't get split between so many Pokemon. Mm-hmm. And I probably have so many Hall of Fame of just Blaziken, Rayquaza, and then some random ass Pokemon. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they were really all you needed was a level 100 Blaziken to get through the Elite Four. I think the only reason uh, I... I had Rayquaza was because I had like Sky Overcut, Overheat, Blaze Kick, or I don't. I don't remember. I know I had Sky Uppercut and Overheat, which was weird because I had physical and special. I was a kid back then. Mm-hmm. I didn't really care about that. <laughs> but basically, I had really strong moves, but low number of them, like PvE points. Mm. So I had to have another person, even if I like one-shotted everyone, because there was some Pokemon that resisted some of my moves. So I just had to have another Pokemon for those resistant ones, and. I would just run out of moves if I didn't otherwise. So that's why I had to have uh, Rayquaza with me is because I would just yeah. run out of moves. <laughs> I just, I always brought um, 
aethers with me so then i could just restore the power yeah i was just too lazy i was just like yeah i'll just swap (laughs) because they they wouldn't take too much damage if they one shot everything so i was like i don't even have to waste time healing just beat them go to the next one beat them go to the next one i'm like i don't need to use items (laughs) yeah i basically played the game to test that theory of I'm going to beat the game with only Blaziken and I'll have HM slaves to get me there. So by the time I got there, my Blaziken was pretty damn close to level 100. But um, I think I managed to beat it in the early 90s rather than level 100. But yeah, I once I got there, I put all the Pokemon besides Blaziken in the PC and went for it to see if I could do it. Yeah, I, I could have done it if I like picked the right move sets but like most of my like i think the highest move i had was like 15 everything else was like 10 or 5 so like i just there were some that couldn't get one shot especially if i had to use overheat which would drastically reduce my special attack after i use it once mm-hmm. i was like oh, i can't just use it anymore even though <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I definitely, hmm, as much pain as it caused me with, like, the HM stuff, I did find the story very enjoyable because it was a lot different than just, like, Team Rocket taking over. And the fact that we had to go to so many different places was kind of cool. But, yeah, just the the fact that you needed so many HMs to get to places really brought it down. Yeah, I completely agree. Alright, because I could probably keep ranting on this forever. I'll <laughs> cut myself off and end it with the question of the day, which I have, honestly, I have quite a bit of questions because I honestly want to know, first off, what started did you choose? Because I think all three of these were good. Like, Swamper, the water-ground combo was really strong. Sceptile was strong and it looked sweet. Blaziken, as you heard me say, I chose him first because I thought he was the best. But I think all of them had great viability and were all equally strong. So curious to see who you chose as your starter. And where was your favorite secret base location? Those are all pretty good ones. Yeah, mine was definitely Torchic. See, I think for first stage, though, I like Trico. Mm. I know second stage, Grovile was my favorite. It probably also had to deal with the anime, but Combuskin just... I don't know. Combustion Combuskin was and Marsh, uh, yeah, Marsh Stomp. Just didn't look as good as their previous ones. I think Grovile definitely had the best second. And then Blaziken and Sceptile, to me, both look pretty sweet. Yeah, they were cool. Not saying Swampert wasn't cool. He definitely, like, he still had a lot of cool factor. I just don't think he was at the level of the other two. I could agree with that. But, yeah, so a couple facts before we go. And the first fact is Gen 3, more specifically Ruby version, was when the ever-so-popular Nuzlocke challenge was first created from comics posted on 4chan's 
board by Nuzlocke, which is kind of interesting. I didn't know this started from 4chan, which one, I barely even know what 4chan is. I know that it's a online it's like a Reddit forum thing. thing. Yeah, but more scummy. Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I did not know that this came from a 4chan thing. Kind of interesting. Yeah, and the exact reason behind it is he used a Nuzleaf for, I guess, like, the majority of the game or, like, the Nuzleaf became a big part of it. And when he made the comment, comic... He had John Locke's face on it. Mm. And so that's how the phrase Nuzlocke came between Nuzleaf and John Locke. Nuzlocke. That's how the origin story of this that everyone, I feel like, in the Pokemon community, if you're part of knows what a Nuzlocke is. Right. So, yeah, that's an interesting little tidbit. Uh, fact number two is... The Pokemon's gender was no longer determined by the IV of its attack stat uh, from this this generation onward, which made it possible to have a female Pokemon with the maximum attack IVs of, or yeah, that um, had the maximum attack IVs, which was something that hasn't been possible before Gen 3. So the third fact is, Pokemon holds the top three slot of... uh, the top three of games sold for Game Boy Advance. And Ruby and Sapphire at one for 16.2 million. Fire Red Leaf Green at 12 million. And Emerald sold at a little over uh, 7 million. And the final fact is a special e-reader card known as the Eon Ticket was also released. And this was obtained through a mystery gift function. The ticket allowed the players to reach a place called the Southern Island. There, the players face either Latios or Latias, depending on which version of the game they used. Which I did not know about this. Uh, this is this was a new thing to me. I did not know this even existed. This was new to me as well. I've heard of like the Southern Island or something. And I thought it was just a random thing in game. Like you had a one in like 10,000 chance of getting it. Like the Mirage Island on whatever yeah. other game Mirage Island was. I think it was Gen 2. The uh, Mirage Island was on this one. Oh, it one. was on this one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, I thought it was something like that. I didn't realize it was actually like a special event thing. Hmm. Yeah, so that is new to me. I never heard of it. So... And, yeah, Mirage Island was one of those things where I always wanted to go to it, but I didn't know how we actually got there. I don't think I ever went to it either. It's probably that. Because I think it was like a lottery type thing where you had to come back every day and hope for the yeah, best. Yeah, because it did like a something with your like trainer ID number and it had to have like six numbers match or something like that so yeah and i think the only way you could realistically get it is if you traded with people because from different versions of game or like different people's games you get a different id number and that increases your odds of winning i guess and there's always some way to yeah there's always it's always about making other people buy the game (laughs) so so yeah, that'll be it for this episode, so don't forget to show us some love and support at patreon.com slash
And of course, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Weebspawn. And you can contact us at Weebspawn at gmail.com. Thank you guys all for listening. I've been your host, Bobby. And I'm Joshua. And we will see you guys next time when we Weebspawn.